0: I think that the really hard thing is is knowing where you, where you'll end up, um, and realizing that early on, like, there is a huge chance that that where you will end up doesn't exist yet. Um, so be open to new new experiences, try different things, um, learn as much as you can along the way, and and try and take opportunities that present themselves. They may not seem ideal at first. But you never know what you'll learn and and what saying
1: yes can actually lead to. Hello, friends. My name is Kirill, and you're listening to my UX Career Podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also, I have conversations with other designers and design leaders trying to show That there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Also, if you're interested in UX career insights and um, some key learnings from my experience, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter about UX career. Uh, Go to newsletter.uxcareer.co. Now back to the episode. Today I'm talking to Phil Nier as a part of uh, the Q&A with Design Manager series. Phil is a creative design and UX leader with a broad and diverse experience working with startups, government agencies, and large enterprises. Quite a broad experience and diverse industries as well. We talk about Phil's journey to becoming a UX lead managing a team of 12 today. We discuss the importance of being authentic when presenting your work, the issue with over-designed resumes and how to make it more simple and focused on the content, the value of showing transferable skills from previous careers, and why illustrating projects solving real world problems is more important than sleekly designed imaginary ones. And of course, a bunch of a bunch of other takeaways about UX career from his perspective. Enjoy this episode. Thanks, Phil, for coming to the show and uh, for being willing to share the insights uh, from your perspective, from your background, from your experience about what you as a hiring manager uh, are looking at um, when you're looking at the candidates at the applications that's coming for designer positions. Uh, let's start with uh, your introduction and um, tell us a bit more about your current role, uh, where, what company you work at, and what's really the definition of you of the of the ownership there. Like what do you do there?
0: Sure. Um, so I'm officially the UX lead for tech resources race 21 initiative. Um the the scope of the role, so race 21 is a digital transformation initiative within tech resources, a mining company focused primarily on coal and copper mining. Our group is really um, tasked with driving digital analytics, um, digital product thought and and digital transformation into the entire industry. So leveraging data and analytics in in every phase of the operation to drive operational efficiency, improve safety and um, improve the the overall process across the, the entire sort of End-to-end cycle of of coal production. Um, as in this role, um, I basically oversee the the entire UX practice. Um, we've hired hiring, setting process, defining tools, um, and setting sort of scope and future vision for the UX discipline within Race Twenty One and moving into tech resources as sort of the parent organization.
1: Mm-hmm. Does it mean that uh, Race Twenty One is more like an, I guess, innovation studio within the larger company? It's
0: yeah, it's run a lot like an, an innovation lab. Um, we're tasked separately with with creating products, primarily internal products for different um, mind sites. And they have a traditional IT organization that's much more focused on um, implementing off-the-shelf software, whereas we're,
1: our focus is custom software and digital analytics. Got it. Okay, and we'll we'll touch um, a bit more on on a few key details mm-hmm. about the design team and um, the structure a bit later. So let's start with your story, and uh, I'm curious to understand uh, why did you go into UX field? Uh, what was the maybe the the pivoting moment that you can recall? Uh, how did you start
0: how did i start i started way too long ago um so i started in sfu in the mid 90s and this lovely thing called the the Wide web made its appearance and it seemed like a pretty cool thing and so sfu i was in the communications department and basically built on built up a sort of hands-on digital media degree within the, de- the communications department focused on audio editing video editing web design and development because it was not really owned by anyone at this place um, upon graduating i st- I joined a startup for a couple of years that then went basically blew up in the in the dot-com bubble um, worked freelance for a while eventually joined ibm And sort of have have continued to work in in UX since then, focusing sort of on more and more complex problems and problem spaces. I think that's sort of been the the driving part of my career direction, looking for more and more complex problems and interesting, messy problems to solve. Um, Worked at startups, design agencies, and enterprise companies. So I've seen a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm interested in just continuing to to try and build high-functioning
1: teams within those types of environments. Mm-hmm. So you started with the, I guess, if you if you have to put a label on this, individual contributor role, all right? As a, I know.
0: started way back when as a web designer slash web mm-hmm. developer, mm-hmm. Um, and really cut my teeth as a co-op, which I think was was one of the the sort of core foundational things that that really helped drive my career because I was able to, to try and build a sense of what working in this field actually meant at a time when the field was sort of changing and growing. And I think that was really a, a core piece that that helped drive everything moving forward.
1: Can you recall like a, an exact moment when you realized that UX is really your thing and that you want to go deep into that?
0: I can't there, there, there isn't really I, I think that what what dawned on me was that when UX as a label sort of became more and more pronounced, I realized I'd been doing that for a while. right It's sort of this when when I started, there was no sense of, of UX. There was sort of from a, from a foundational piece, there was HCI. Yeah, um, but that was really focused around interacting with systems rather than taking a user centered approach. Um, so there isn't really a, a pivotal moment,
1: mm-hmm.
0: just sort of a, a gradual realization that I was interested more in how people use the tools than the, the technology itself.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, how long ago did you transition to the management position and like the leader position of a team?
0: Ah, dun, dun, dun. Again, it's been sort of gradual. I think, let's say, about six years ago, I started leading projects and teams. Um, and then it's been um, everything from sort of more of a head of product role to sort of a, a manager of smaller teams. And now, growing uh, managing a larger team of about 12 and and also being responsible for the discipline itself Mm
1: -hmm. and uh that sounds like a very long journey and very diverse uh, set of experiences and roles and environments and especially with like different types of companies that you um worked with um i'm curious to to hear maybe you have like any i guess takeaways from all these learnings and uh, what do you wish in you like as a, as a as a starter what you wish in you when you were starting your career like what could you give um, like what kind of advice could you give to the people who are in this early stages today
0: i think that the really hard thing is is knowing where where you'll end up um and realizing that early on like there is a huge chance that, that where you will end up doesn't exist yet. Um, so be open to new new experiences, try different things, um, learn as much as you can along the way and, and try and take opportunities that present themselves. They may not seem ideal at first, but you never know what you'll learn and, and what saying yes can actually lead to.
1: Can you recall uh, maybe like give an example from your experience when maybe something you can you can remember now um, was one of the examples how you made this decision that helped you move in the right direction looking forward or looking in retrospect?
0: I think making the 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 change from working at a startup to working at IBM, right? Very different culture, very different ways of working. Um, very restrictive in a lot of ways but it also helped um home my process look at things from a from a larger system standpoint and and provide sort of a that that counterbalance structure to the the freedom and openness that that exists at a startup
1: yeah yeah i also have experience in both like sides of this spectrum and um there is definitely i guess additional challenges that you have to <laughs> yep work around and consider and think about when you go into this large scale organizations which is definitely yeah I haven't I think it's hard to find in small startups it's kind of a pros and cons on one hand for both sides yeah Uh, but definitely I think like for me I completely agree this is one one of the interesting and I guess super valuable experiences to learn from and to really gonna, I guess, mature your thinking about a bigger picture and um, Mm -hmm. all the sometimes really bizarre constraints that you have to work around. So that's definitely a good uh, way to grow. Completely agree. Awesome. Okay. So uh, thinking about, uh, especially the the junior designers and the entry-level designers with all those boot camps, different programs, the market is definitely oversaturated now with entry-level talent. So and uh, when they go through different programs, uh, the challenge that they have is very often the outcome, like the output of this program makes all those candidates look very similar to each other. I've heard <laughs> this from many hiring managers. It is just uh, like very quickie cutter approach. So thinking from the and then now you're like as a hiring manager, you're receiving hundreds of applications and like it's kind of creates like clogs down the pipeline for you as well. Right? So it's kind of very empathetic situation. So from the candidate's point of view, uh, what would you do uh, if you were in their shoes to stand out these days? It's, it's
0: tricky. There, they, there is so much out there. I think um, focusing on good basics. Um, I think over-designed resumes are, are an easy trap to fall into um because you're trying to make yourself stand out there's lots of people with over-designed resumes something that is really well structured really well written um and and focuses on the content i think is much better than trying to to highlight your ability as a graphic designer and within the the sort of constraints of a of a resume um being authentic, um, I find that that if you get to see a package, and as you sort of look into it, there's there's a disconnect within that where it the pieces don't fit together, or you exaggerate your experience in one area and it doesn't follow through in the portfolio. So making sure that it's aligned, I'd rather see a portfolio that that mirrors your actual skills than trying to sort of inflate that and try and get past the first piece because as soon as you get to an actual conversation about the work, right that that sort of starts being being tricky um, Be really open where you've worked as part of a team. Um, again, I don't think there's anything wrong to say I was part of a team that worked on something versus trying to position it all as your own work because that'll that'll come out at some point. Um, and that generally will make you look worse down the line. Um, and I think try and get as much experience as possible. Um, there are so many bootcamp piece places. there are so many um, courses and, and projects that I think real world experience trumps a lot of that. And having someone who's volunteered or or done other things that, that rounds out their character um, and, and their experiences is, is really valuable. We have on our team people from all sorts of backgrounds. Not everyone has started in UX. Um, people have come from all manner of roles. Like we have a designer who started his career as a mechanic. And having that on his resume actually helps him because it shows that. He was able within within his pivot his career, but also focus what parts of of that former life actually played into his decision to become a UX designer. Mm-hmm.
1: That all makes sense. Uh, the question, though, uh, like as a follow up to the uh, real experience and not just uh, bootcamp projects that are like one and a half projects usually. So it's it's a. Tricky situations for the for those folks because uh, on one hand employers are looking for more real work experience. On the other hand, even like for junior positions, for the even like for entry level sometimes, uh, which is a different problem. So, what would you do if like if you basically just graduated from a bootcamp and you had this one and a half project? Uh, how would you add more real work? Examples to your portfolio to stand out from that point of view.
0: I would try again from from my from what I'm looking for and in the areas I think I would rather see um, people trying to solve real world problems than mm. um, slickly designed presentations. Um, so find, try and find organizations that need help. Um, again, there's lots of volunteer organizations that you can work, you, you can try and work with as a, as a volunteer editor or designer, um, help improve sort of, and try and tie back projects to to real world conditions, right? My sense is if you can show that you're able to do research, to connect with people, to understand complex problems, that will get you further than something that looks really slick. Um, When I look at a portfolio, I tend to skip most of the visuals um, because I'm interested in how you solve the problem, right? especially if it is a a school project what were the assumptions you went into it? How did you think about the problem? How did you go about stating your assumptions, doing some research, trying to tie things together? Because I think that's where the real difference between candidates lie. Can you write it as a as a really good case study versus give
1: me three really slick screens? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I agree. Um, this kind of I think is a good segue into the I guess the portfolio uh, expectations, and mm-hmm. again, there are there are contradicting expectations here, and that's mm-hmm. kind of, this is like one of the questions I wanted to talk to you about. So I'm curious to hear what's your, uh, and you kind of already touched a bit on the on the I guess more the problem uh, definition and like all this kind of details about the really, the thinking and the rationale behind those decisions. Uh, rather than visuals, but there are some people who prefer visuals. So kind of that's one of those conflicts uh, uh, conflicting opinions. Uh, but other than that, uh, what's kind of your expectation on the structure, the number of case studies that people need to, to include? Uh, maybe like you you prefer PDF portfolios versus something else? Like what's 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 a good portfolio for you?
0: Um, interesting. I think the 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 answer is the classic designer cop out answer. It depends um i would like i generally the most successful portfolios are ones that are best structured around the content available um a if if you have two projects make make it a really good set of case studies really explain how you worked, what your process was don't be afraid to show in progress work as part of it right that's that's really what i'm trying to get into when i'm i'm evaluating a portfolio is how does someone think how do they approach their work what types of deliverables are they comfortable with have they done research is it qualitative is it interview based is it assumptions right again you can you can pull together an empathy map and be clear that I wasn't able to talk to anyone, but here's what I I think someone, or here's what we as a team thought our users would have biggest pain points around, right? It's, it's as with math, the answer is nice, but how did you get to the answer? Um, and so, again, if, if your experience is more visual design oriented, be clear that that's what you're looking for, right? Because it's it's a double-sided piece. On the one hand, I'm looking to evaluate what is a designer's skills, ability, but at the same time, gauge fit. So if you're really more of a, of a front-end or interaction designer, make sure that comes across in your portfolio. If you're focused as a, if, if you are trying to position yourself as an interaction designer, make sure that that's reflected in how you put your portfolio together. It's someone who's who's really looking at, at that that high end interaction and visual design. If your portfolio is a I don't know, a very basic um, template from any one of the the, the online systems, that is it. There's a disconnect there between how you're positioning yourself and and how you're presenting your work. If you're a UX researcher but you've spent all of your effort on making a really sexy looking site, but there's no research or there's none of the, right? There needs to be, it needs to be congruent and connected. Um, as far as whether it's it's web or PDF, I don't have a personal preference. Um, it's really around the content. Um, I've been in places where I've had different, different ways of doing it myself. Um, if yours is mainly project work and it's it's easier for you to share publicly, web is great. I've been in situations where it's I've had work that I can't necessarily share publicly, but I'm happy to share it as a as a PDF or or in a password protected site. Um, so again, there's no real requirements there as long as you're able to, to connect how you work and and make sure it aligns with what how you're presenting yourself in other materials.
1: Mm-hmm. Would you be able to tell us like on average how how much time do you devote to one portfolio? Like because with all the incoming applications I assume that the volume is quite high. So there is I guess like a time constraint that you, mm-hmm. you should experience. So I'm curious, like because some people are just look for five seconds, they just scroll through and then like move on. So I'm curious about what's your yes thoroughness here. So
0: I'll probably spend um the, the the first big one is resume. If 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 your resume doesn't clearly align with what we're looking for, doesn't have the the information we're looking for, I'm looking for, or convey the experience that matches what we're where we have um i may or may not continue on to a portfolio so really resume is is king um once i get to the portfolio i'll probably look at the about section first um and see does that align with how you've presented your your material in the portfolio. If there isn't an about section, that's not a deal breaker, but it's really around, if you're telling me one thing in a resume and something radically different in your about section, that that can cause a disconnect. Um, I'll look at the work overview and see, like try and figure out how, again, probably within the first 10 seconds, how have you structured it? Is this, is there thought to the IA in your portfolio? Are you using a template? Are you using the right type of template for the, the information and the content you have available? Um, are there other things that, that you're trying to present? Again, it's really tempting to put in the dynamic chart of all of your skills on a scale of one to seven. That tells me nothing. Right. And, and again, there's, there can be a huge disconnect where you tell me how you're really good at digital or, or data visualization, but there's a one to seven scale with zero reference. So what does that mean? So again, looking for those, those things that what's the overall story. And then when it comes to looking at the individual um, project work, um, I'll probably take an initial pass through and see what type how is it structured what's in there is it just a couple of screenshots and a brief paragraph is it case study format are there multiple screens and and basically get a sense of how broad is what's being presented is there background did you have a a problem statement do i under are you letting me know who was this for? What was the, the outcome? Was there an objective? Um, and then I might spend, depending on on everything up to that point, I might then sort of start digging into the actual screens or research or wireframes or flows that are presented. So it really starts down at, is there, is there cohesion? Does this align? Is there, an, is there the information I'm looking for? And then I'll get to the actual screens or the actual sort of visual representation of the work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, is- and again, it can be anything from like, I've, I've spent less than two minutes on some portfolios and 10, 15 on others. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a, such a thing as a 2-1 of a case study? Because some of them they go in so much details. So there is yeah I, I I don't
0: think there's there's again there there is if the content's not there. Um if if it's really just reams and reams and reams of wireframes that don't add value. Right? 3 3 flow diagrams can tell a really good story that you've looked at at three types of personas and and the way they interact with different tools. 10 doesn't help me, right? That just adds more fluff to it. Um, One might not be enough. So finding the right balance that, again, you're you're conveying the thinking versus just a repository of everything that was there. Um, And again, I think a really well written case study will allow you to, to stop where you've had enough information, or keep going, right? If you, if you're, if you bury the lead, if you don't write a good intro summary that gets someone going, you might not. I, I might not continue. If it's too light, I want to know who did you talk to, what type of research you did. If it's a research-focused piece, um, but but I think as long as you're covering sort of the basics of what was the problem, who did you connect with, what types of things you did you do what were the goals and outcomes versus just telling a long rambling story of all the things we did because
1: it was a project we had to do makes sense yeah and the storytelling matters uh, a lot and it does yeah yeah definitely there is a a balance between the either not enough details or too much details uh, that could be not adding enough value additional value to the story uh you mentioned about the resume and uh, the creative Type of resume that's just like getting too much. And um, I want to, to touch a bit more on this topic. Uh, what's your, what's an ideal resume for you uh, from the structure, the format? Uh, maybe you can recall a resume <laughs> that really stood out and like you were, whoa, that's an amazing one. Uh, can you share anything a bit about this?
0: Yeah, I think ideal resume is probably two, maybe three pages, depending on experience. Um, I'd like to at, at a snapshot get a really good understanding of your experience what type what type of designer you are is it interaction visual research um, and so having having a way to really quickly see what your what you bring to the table what you're interested in and then a resume focused on not just the things i did but the outcomes right how how did you have an impact within those roles Um, the easier it is to read the better structured it is from a from a readability standpoint the better i'd rather see a couple of bullet points than long paragraphs Mm. Um, like it to be really clearly structured either by date or by by grouping so you've got work volunteer and and educational experience so that i can clearly see where things fit together there's no like again if it's a cv format or or formatted in other ways is fine as long as it's really clear to see who you are how that fits in with what we're looking for your experience and the skills you bring to the table
1: okay let's talk about the future of the this profession in general and um how you think people who are starting today can really minimize the risk of uh, being automated with the, with the machine learning, with AI. And there has been quite an advancement of the technology that kind of at least tries to replace some parts of the design process, mostly like the production, like the last steps. Mm-hmm. But there is also some attempts at the, at the research being automated. And um, I guess, yeah, minim- you, you don't need to do usability testing as much today with all these tools. And nobody knows what will happen in three years, in five years, right? Like, so, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts? And again, like, we're just guessing. So, just yeah. what's your gut feeling uh, about what, which parts of the UX design process, which kind of verticals in this long, long process uh, are more resistant and more future proof? Not, uh, I think it
0: boils really down to everything around design. The the core pieces that, that we really bring to the table are, how do we connect and communicate with people? How do we empathize with users and their needs? How do we um, understand a problem space and, and solve, like understand, frame, shape, and solve complex problems? Um, the more complex a problem is, the harder it is to automate. And so, I think if you're if your focus is really understanding the process understanding how to absorb information make connections and um, not just between between information, but also build connections with people you're future proofing yourself more than future proofing yourself against automation. Um, I think foundational understanding around design thinking, understanding how business works, understanding the the technology process um, and being able to fundamentally be a bridge between different parts of of companies in the technology space is really the best way of future-proofing yourself. Because really UX among, among all of the things we do technically is one of these connecting domains and the more you're able to help people connect technologies connect and and connect that with the business um i think the the better you are in a position to have a wider breadth of opportunities as you move forward in your career but also be able to see where you might be able to pivot um where there might be Ancillary um, options for you to to move your career, and not just get get in into this sort of track of, I'm a designer, I make things, I I need to be working in wireframes or I'm not successful. Like, you can be an incredibly successful designer and never touch a wireframe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Like the the more I guess closer to production phase. Um... Is likely to get automated faster, at least from what I've seen so far, the trend. And that all the thinking and the relationship building and communication and like working with people and understanding the space and the problems and the needs and really kind of analysis of those yeah. unstructured data, right? So it's, it's really hard to automate that part. So it's really qualitative insights and trying to read in between the lines sometimes and connect the dots. So I think this is really a, a challenging one to be automated at least. I think it'll be yeah. later.
0: It it'll be it'll be hard to to automate empathy, and I think that's the one the one big thing that that UX brings that user centered approach, that augments a lot of the other other skills that exist in
1: technology. Totally. Let's talk about race twenty one, and um, let's start with just the team structure. What kind of roles you have there? How each role is defined, like from the general mm-hmm. uh, specialist perspective. Um, Yes, let's talk about the team structure.
0: Sure. So we are in the process of actually extending our team structure. Currently, we have a really flat structure with one UX lead and individual contributors. There's no differentiation. Um, we we have generalist UX designers that will tackle problem projects end-to-end. Um, in the short term, I don't see that changing, Um, we might get to a point where we're working with another group that's focused more on off the shelf um, product implementations. And in that case, we'd probably look at more specialized UX researchers to help support those initiatives. Um, We have on our roadmap a potential for more of a design ops role at some point. Again, I don't think we're quite there yet. Um, But we know we're building out a platform and as part of that we're building out a componentized approach on the development side and being able to manage our design libraries, the component libraries and keep those aligned will be something we'll need to do at some point. Um, And then we're looking at basically as we build out our structure going from a an individual contributor. set of roles that will progress up through senior and potentially principal designer, um, a set of lead roles that are focused more on overseeing domains, and then looking at, do we expand out our UX management and potentially other other senior design roles that sit across the organization? Um, But those are all things that that are in the pipeline. Mm
1: -hmm. Sounds good. Uh, could you share your design process? How does it? How does a, a new project is uh, being tackled?
0: It depends. We have a range of products and projects that we're supporting that are all at different levels of maturity. So we do have greenfield projects that come in. Um, those are often driven by idea owners at individual mine sites. Um, they often have a strong engineering connection, either to a physical process within mining, to some type of um, censoring or instrumentation pro- project that's running in parallel. And so there's there's a, a process for bringing new ideas to the table. Um, and then we'll basically run a discovery session in collaboration with um, people at mine sites, as well as our product ownership team, um, and then evolve the the products as we we mature them through. Some of our teams run; they're large enough that they run on on the safe framework. So again, there's a little more structure around how roadmaps, backlogs are managed. And, and how individual design work is then brought into a sprint level. Um, some of the other teams are a little more free flowing where it's all agile, but we're still trying to basically build proof of concepts, validate the ideas, and then flow those, decide whether there's, there's enough meat on the bone to take it past the proof-of-concept stage and into a product that'll serve multiple minds at the same time or if it remains a a sort of of proof-of-law, proof-of-concept level application that works at a a single implementation. Mm
1: -hmm. How do you do user research, especially considering that you may be building something for remote uh, locations? So
0: we've, we've, been, thanks to COVID, in a really weird space where we have not been able to get to mine sites. Um, Our our ideal process is that basically we start with contextual research at the mine sites because there is is something about the physicality of seeing the scale and scope and, and everything that goes along with the process. It's also a really good way to understand the culture at site, understand how different their ways of working are, and see the breadth of people working at mine sites. Um, everything from sort of our, the, the massive equipment operators through to geologists and planners. Um, in in the interim, we've been leveraging teams significantly. Um, we also have a group called deployment specialists that are um, they're mining experts or people with mining backgrounds that are um, working in partnership with the digital teams. So they're often our eyes and ears at site. They can fill us in on a lot. Um, We've been able to run a large number of of user interviews um, as part of discovery. We've also been able to do qualitative research and and survey work on some projects. So we try to tailor the approach to the the scale, scope, and complexity of, of the problem we're trying to
1: solve. Can you share a bit more about the interview process? What are the key steps, uh, and obviously, for a designer? And um, uh, how long does it take?
0: Our interview process is actually really well structured. So it starts with um, a phone screen with with our recruiters. Um, That can either be us reaching out to candidates we've identified or responding to people who've applied. once they've passed the interview screen process it's generally a one-on-one interview with myself um in which we'll sort of go over history background what they're looking for i'll give some context on how we work at at race 21 um probably walk through a project or two depending on on where we are with time i try to keep those i schedule those for an hour and a half and try to keep them to an hour but i like having the extra time just in case things get get a little longer um second interview is generally a group interview with a couple of designers and someone from our product ownership or scrum master teams um, and they'll dig into to similar things, but it's it's good to get a, a second set of um, opinions. And they're usually more connected to the domains that, that we're hiring into. Um, so they'll be able to give, give more um, context on the, the work that's currently going on. And then we also have an interview with our, one of our HR partners that's focused more on cultural fit ways of working and, and sort of leadership and work styles. As part of our process, we also have a, a psychometric assessment through preview, which is a really interesting way of just understanding um, how people work, what their experiences are, what their preferences are. It's not a major part of our decision-making process, but it does sort of factor in and help us shape where, where we take some of our interview questions and how we we approach the, the interviewing candidates. Um, and then the decision-making process is usually a gr- uh, fairly quick. We come together as a group of whoever was in the interview so usually three to five people um and then make a decision on whether to move forward with a candidate um, and then the offer and, and negotiation and sort of crafting of the final offer generally takes a couple of days to a week mm-hmm.
1: so you didn't you don't use whiteboarding or take home exercises
0: uh, no hmm. no we've basically the the traditionally we've been hiring predominantly intermediate and up designers Um, and so i try and dig into how people work um, what their skills are how they would approach problems in in the initial interview and in talking through some of their project work Um, we'd considered whiteboarding exercises but decided i've used them in the past that given what we're looking for it wasn't
1: adding a ton of value talking about like the the levels of designers that you're hiring or Mm you've been hiring so you mentioned that you hire usually intermediate to senior level yeah why don't you hire junior folks why don't we hire junior folks we
0: work in a really weird environment um it's it's a very complex domain our tools are very technical and there is a ton of pressure to deliver results really quickly so we've basically in order to be able to have people hit the ground running um, they need to in in a very short amount of time be able to ramp up on high a highly complex industry um with potentially sort of complex interteam and interpersonal dynamics so having people that that are too junior means that that we have to there's there's multiple things to to pay attention to so not only coaching from a from a, a how we work but also having someone for the first time have to dig into a really really complex and technical domain makes it hard um and so that's been why we've we've fundamentally been growing our team with intermediate to senior designers. Um, We've scaled massively, so we've moved from two designers when I started last March up to 10 now, and we're hiring two more right as we speak. Um, And so we're, we're almost at a point where we can start augmenting our existing domains with more junior designers but we needed to have an infrastructure in place to be able to support junior designers um, and allow them to be successful. Otherwise it would have very much been a, a sink or swim scenario. Mm-hmm.
1: Does it mean that with all the scale and growth of the team and I uh, guess adding more maturity to the structure and the process, do you envision that you, you may expand your hiring efforts to also include the entry-level folks?
0: We we will at some point. Um, I'm not sure what the time frame of that is. Um, I'm expecting growth this year to slow down, so I think we'll probably be adding three or four more this year, and they may be more in the in the sort of early intermediate range versus senior designers. Mm. Um, and the other piece we're looking at building out is building out a co-op program at some point, so we oh, can nice. we can bring co-ops on and and sort of. Be able to support them again, given the 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 broader availability of, of more senior designers.
1: Yeah, co-op program is huge, and um, I think it will be welcomed with all hands uh, in the yeah in the, in, in the market because it's it's such a rare it's a scarcity here in Vancouver at least. It is, and I understand like the the cost of this, like and the additional challenges. Um, but I think it's there are also a lot of benefits for the company. Uh, huge. To find the right talent and also to bring more diverse and younger generation to the to the table.
0: And the other piece is is allowing more again, okay, relatively more junior people to to take on mentorship, leadership, and, and sort of exactly. um build their their skills from that standpoint at the same time.
1: Exactly. It's like a win-win for everyone. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Okay, so that's all the questions for today. If somebody wants to reach out and uh, maybe ask a question or have a quick chat, like a coffee chat, or maybe clarify something that you uh, mentioned uh, during this conversation, first of all, are you open to this kind of uh, chat? Absolutely. And if you are, which you are, which is good. uh, How people can find you? Probably the easiest way is via LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds good. And I'll include the LinkedIn uh, link uh, to the to the show notes as well. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you, Phil, again, for your time and uh, for sharing all the wisdom that you have um, accumulated over these years. And uh, it was interesting to hear your perspective on many things.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Kirill. And thanks for pulling these together. I think it's going to be really valuable to, to get that, that breadth of opinion and see how other hiring managers and other organizations look at hiring.
1: Exactly. I strongly believe this will be valuable. And I wish I had something like this when I was going through the through phase. Awesome. Thank you, Phil. Cheers. Perfect. Thanks so much, Kirill. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website. Go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends.